Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. And welcome to the Investor Coaching Show. I am Paul Winkler. We talk about that, money, investing, financial planning, retirement planning. There was a question that came in from a previous show. And if you got questions, you can always go to the website, paulwinkler.com. And it's paulwinkler.com forward slash question is one way to do it. If you just go to the website, there's an area for questions around the radio show stuff. You can actually in the podcast. So the question was regarding a previous segment that I had done. And it was about annuities. And, you know, I have time to time I talk about that. And sometimes what happens is people say, you always hate these things. You always hate these things. And I go, well, it's a, it's a tool. Be like I say, like saying, I always hate flathead screwdrivers. Now, let's face it, we don't use a flathead screwdriver as much as we do, you know, Phillips said. But, you know, it doesn't mean that I hate them. I mean, when it comes down to it, if I need a flathead, that is going to be what I need. And a Phillips head isn't going to cut it when I'm dealing with a flathead screw, right? Well, it's the same thing with annuities. There are certain things that they do that's just a job that, in some cases, can be really, really handy. Um, so the question says, uh, Mr. Winkler, I always kiddingly say, that was my dad. <laughs> I'm Paul. Uh, very much enjoy listening to your show. Uh, your shows, I've gained some very helpful information regarding personal finances and benefited our family, as well as those I've been entrusted to help. Thank you for that. That's really, that's great. Recently, the I Hate Annuities broadcast caught my attention. Now, what I was quoting, there is a, Ken Fisher does a lot of advertising. He talks, he has these things about I Hate Annuities, and he was being picked on because it was just a blanket statement and Kind of like I said, you know, sometimes there are cases that it, that they make sense. I don't sell them. We don't do anything commission-based. So we don't sell them. We don't have a dog in the fight. But, you know, I talked uh, a little bit about that. And it says, he says, well, that broadcast caught my attention, he says. He says, I, like Mr. Fisher, hate annuities. <laughs> in all cap letters. Uh, your justifications of sometimes that they're okay just didn't make sense, he said. Therefore, I'm seeking to understand. In your example of investing 50000 and that number came from the president of a, I don't know if he's president, but he's higher up in, in this college that teaches financial planning topics. This $50,000 example came from that person, not me. But anyway, that the example of investing 50000 and getting an IRR, which is internal rate of return, of over 8, 8% doesn't add up. Uh, if an 85-year-old granny put 50000 in and three years later she dies, at 5000 a year, she received 15000 in income but lost 35000 of her money to the insurance company. Now, number one, that 8%, I actually pointed out in my segment that the number was wrong. Uh, if you look at and why the reason I said the number was wrong, it was correct based, based on the numbers given in the example, but I actually ran the numbers with a broker that deals with a lot of different insurance companies and said, if you had a 65-year-old woman and she gave you $50,000, how much income would 
would you get? And as I recall, it was like $300 a month, which was well less than the 5,000. And the internal rate of return dropped to like 5%, as I recall, or something like that. It was, it was much lower. So that's the internal rate of return if you live to life expectancy. That's if you are 65 and you live for another 22 years or something like that, as I recall the number was. And, you know, so that is if you gave me 50,000 and as an insurance company, you got paid five grand per year rounding, then at the end of 22 years, you got 5,000 times 22 years. And, you know, so you got well over, you know, got over $100,000. You gave him 50, you got over $100,000 in the internal rate of return. And if you look at that and go, oh, well, you know, the reality of it is I had to live the entire life expectancy to get that internal rate of return. Now, I argue that the internal rate of return was lower, likely to be lower because running quotes from other insurance companies at this point in time, I couldn't find anybody that paid that much. Uh, you know, so you know, you can argue those numbers, but in essence, you have to live the entire life expectancy in your example here in the question is that three years later, she dies. Then you've only gotten three payments of $5,000 or $15,000 that yes, correct. You're absolutely right. And that is why most people won't annuitize. Because they think, well, what if I die? What if I don't live all the way to life expectancy? I didn't have, you can't even say I had an internal rate of return. I lost money. That's absolutely correct. So I agree with you. Uh, and he says, who in their right mind would want an insurance company beneficiary of their hard-earned savings? Well, who would? And that would be the example I gave in the segment of a, a lady in her 80s that had like a five-year life expectancy. And the, the situation was that in her case, if she handed the money to an insurance company, the payout was actually much higher. It was like not quite 20% of her money each year. So if you give $100,000, maybe the payment was 17 grand per year. And I'm, my, my memory's fuzzy as, as the lady that I was talking about the example, but I did, it was a situation where I had a lady that had like a five-year life expectancy. And then they were going to give her, if she gave them the insurance company, a hundred grand, hundred thousand dollars, they were going to pay her 17,000 per year. Well, you know, if you look at it, if she lived the five years, she lost a little bit, but remember an insurance company has got to make money. You know, so in that situation, and the reason was is they had a, a guarantee payment. But here's the situation. If she lived way beyond her life expectancy, she wins big time. And the worry in this particular case was that she said, I got $100,000. And if I try to pay myself an income every year and I miscalculate and I live too long, I run out of money, which is a terrible scenario. So I'm going to transfer the risk that I live too long to an insurance company. And that's why people might do it. Now, most people don't do it because of the reason you're saying, if you don't live long enough, you've just basically handed all your money to the insurance company. And that's what insurance is. When you buy auto insurance, you pay your auto insurance every single year. And if you don't have a 
car accident. You're, you don't, you're not liable for anything. You don't have a situation where the insurance company has to pay out because you've you know, smashed your car up or you've smashed somebody else's car up or you've damaged somebody else's property. That money's gone. And basically, you would say the same thing. I've handed my hard-earned money over to an insurance company. Well, that's what insurance is. In health insurance, it's healthy people paying for sick people. In auto insurance, it's people that drive poorly, uh, you know, getting paid or getting payment for by people who drove well and didn't have any accidents or didn't have any calamities or people just didn't get unlucky. You know, you might just get unlucky and have a big claim uh, because the roof crashes in on your house because, you know, there's some weather-related event or something like that. So it's just the unfortunate getting paid by the fortunate that didn't have a claim if you look at it that way. Now, you could turn it around and say, you're pretty fortunate if you got paid when, you know, a calamity happened. You're fortunate that other people paid that didn't have a calamity, so the insurance company had money to make you whole. Just a different way of looking at it. It says, so annuities are a whole life insurance of investing. The, in, the insurance company and the agents selling, selling them are the biggest winners and the consumers grossly taken advantage of. Fear sells. Now, annuities are different from life insurance. You know, whole life insurance is where you're overpaying, you know, so that you have a level premium throughout your entire life. Think of life insurance as, you know, if you have term insurance, this 20-year term, you're going to have a level premium for 20 years, but you don't build up any cash. And then at the end of 20 years, the premium shoots up, but you're probably going to drop the insurance after that point. So this is a different deal, really, when it gets down to it. Life insurance, you'll have five-year term where the premium stays level for five years. If you pay a little higher premium, you got you can buy 10-year term where the premium remains level for 10 years. Well, what are you doing with the 10-year term? You're overpaying in the first five years compared to the five-year term. You're overpaying. You're paying too much because you're planning on keeping it for the next five-year period. You know, in the five-year term, you're not planning on keeping the term for any more than five years. So the premium stays level, then it shoots up. So it's lower. So, you know, if you have 20-year term, well, you can think of that. And a lot of you'll hear people, financial people say, oh, you need just 20-year term. That just depends how long you need life insurance for. Because if you buy 20-year term, but you only need it in coverage for 10 years, you overpaid for the first 10 years with the 20-year term. If you're going to drop the 20-year term policy, which is where the premium stays level for 20 years, if you're going to drop it after 10 years, then why would you buy 20-year term and overpay in that first 10-year period? Well, if you want life insurance for your the whole of your life, then what you're doing is vastly overpaying. Because, But you're doing it because later on, when you're 60 years old, you're not going to be able to afford term insurance anymore. So, the, because it would be skyrocketed in price. So, you're overpaying in the early years for those years later on when you don't want to be paying an exorbitant premium for insurance like you would with term insurance. Now, here's the reality most people don't or won't want life insurance in their 60s and 70s because life insurance is to cover your income and you at work. So, what you're doing is you're buying insurance. So, if you stop working early prematurely because you died your family has something 
because you weren't able to work until you were 65 or 70 or whatever you were going to plan on working to. So what you do is you pay a premium for something that if you stop working, that machine in the back room of your house, which is you creating income, creating money, if that machine breaks, it stops creating income, then you've got something to replace that income. That's kind of like insuring a machine that creates money. It's the way I like to use as an example of what life insurance is. You know, so in this particular case, whole life is, and the reason that insurance agents love to sell this stuff is because the premiums are a lot higher and the commission is based on the premium. See, you're right about that. For a lot of people, whole life insurance doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And he gives an example. He says, years ago, my wife and I were sold six whole life policies by mutual benefit life insurance agent reputable A-plus insurance company. After 11 years of doing business with them, we were educated on how to buy low-cost term insurance and invest in good quality mutual funds by a fairly new company. And, you know, that is literally what most often makes more sense is to buy term insurance, much lower premium, put money in your 401k or your 403b or your retirement plans or some other place. The difference between the whole higher whole life premium and the lower term insurance premium that frees up money for investing. Yeah, exactly. Two years after making the change against the advice of an agent, the M MBLIC went insolvent. Uh, how about that? <laughs> and that's a funny point that he's making right there. That's the insurance company you bought the whole life. They went, whole, they went insolvent is what he's saying here. Boy, I would have been investing in an insolvent insurance company. I agree. Yeah, you, you, know, you hear these people say, hey, you know, buy from an A-plus rated company. Well, it's A-plus rated when you buy the insurance or the annuity or the life insurance policy. That's why I don't like it that as an investment, any of these things as an investment. Because what you're doing is you're betting on that insurance company's being around. All the insurance company is is an intermediary between you and where your money ultimately gets invested. We can bypass them. Now, in some cases, there are situations where I've talked about you know, and, you know, we're, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But, but he says, how about that? We decided to do business with a, with a fly-by-night company. It gave us the triple the cost uh, at a cost of 70% of what we were paying. Uh, so A-plus companies do go out of business. And that's exactly right. Fortunately, because the legal reserve contracts are usually taken over by another insurance company. That is correct. You have typically a, if you invest with an insurance company, and they're licensed in a state and they go under, other companies in the state take over their business. But here's the situation that you can run into is the contracts aren't the same that you get what you had with the previous insurer. I've had that happen before. But here's the thing. When I talk about this, what the insurance companies invest in are all very similar investments. If the investments are all similar between all the insurance companies and some calamity happens, and those investments don't work out and all the insurance companies are investing in them, who is going to take over who? Who's going to take over whom or, you know, every proper English is. Uh, who's going who's gonna to make you whole if all insurance companies are negatively affected by it? And you look at what do insurance companies invest in. I've talked about this before. A lot of bonds and a lot of the insurance companies, I've talked about this are actually getting into higher risk investments to try to get higher yields right now. 
and they're competing like crazy with each other. And if that puts them all on a little bit shaky ground and you've gone and invested all your money in these annuities and insurance companies, you could have a problem on your hands. So, you know, yeah, it's A plus rated when you invest in it. But then down the road, they start investing in things that are more speculative. There was one article I talked about not too long ago talking about how these insurance companies that are issuing these annuities have like 30% of their money in more speculative investments. And you go, that could be a problem down the road. And I've talked about some of the investments that they're getting into. And I go, yeah, the corporate, some of the corporate bonds that they're getting into those types of things. You know, what if you have high duration like the banks did, high duration bonds and interest rates shoot up? That could be a problem. So, you know, he says, I'd be interested to know more about the no-load annuities I mentioned, uh, he says, and uh, for information purposes only, because I still hate annuities. Uh, there, there are situations like this, and here's where the no-loads come in. You'll have some insurance companies issue no-load annuities. There's no commissions on them. And you can have a situation where somebody against maybe better judgment bought an annuity, and they put $100,000 into it. You know, 30 years ago, and, and maybe they're sitting on a $150,000 gain. Maybe they made less than they should have because it was a bad annuity, but they made a lot of money. If you yank that money out, so I've got 100000 went in, it grew by 150000 so you got 250000 of value of the annuity, and you're just using it as an accumulation vehicle. You start taking money out of that thing, and it's last in, first out. So in other words, you have to burn through the $150,000 of gain in order to get your principal back, the $100,000 that you put in. It's all taxable. Ouch. That can be a problem. So what do you do? In those situations, you might do something called the 1035 exchange. So you take the $250,000, you move it to a no-load annuity so there's no commission, so you don't get a hit and you don't, they don't take away a bunch of your money and send it off to as a commission to the advisor. But then you use, you can use what's called a variable annuity, very low cost. Some of them have like mortality expense charges are non-existent. Some of them literally get rid of M&E expenses, mortality and expense uh, after like 10 years. Or, and they may be like 0.25%. I mean, super, super low for the first 10 years because insurance companies have to get paid. And, 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 but you know, you're looking at it and going, well, why would I do that? Why would I pay 0.25? To avoid the taxation on the $150,000 of gain. Because it could push you in a really high tax bracket and you could have a lot of that $150,000 when you yank that money out, go straight to the federal government. Now you haven't paid an insurance company, but you pay the federal government you know, upwards of uh, 37%, even higher if you're in a tax state, of your money. And you're going, wow, dang, that much of my money has gone out the door to a government. That really stinks. So it's like, what do I do? Well, I can actually move to a no-load annuity and do it that way. So in, in those cases, uh, Richard, uh, thanks for your question, Richard. That's why you might use an annuity. I hope that's clear. I hope that's it's clear. Sometimes it's not, it's, you know, if there's any other questions that come up as a result of it, you know, just send us a message. Um, but I hope that makes that clear. Yes, in general, a lot of times annuities don't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Yes, they are a commission. Uh, they're just a, a just a big commission uh, driver 
and they create a lot of income for the agents and the insurance companies. And many times they don't make sense, but there are situations I don't go and say, paint everything with this brush and say, it's never a good idea. Just recognize that a lot of times it's not. And the more you know, the more you understand this stuff, the less you're likely to be taken advantage of. I'll be back right after this. Hey guys, if you want specific advice for your unique situation, schedule a free 15-minute phone chat with one of our trusted advisors by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. We don't sell any products and our advisors don't make any commissions, so this isn't a sales call. We have a coaching process that helps you understand investing and relax about money. Don't put blind trust in anyone with your financial assets. We want to partner with you in the process so you know what you're doing and why. We manage assets on a fee-only basis, which means that when you do well, we do well, which aligns our interests with yours from the start. We also bring you into the financial planning process that gives you a clear plan so you can find the freedom to pursue your purpose. All our advisors are degreed planners too, with years of experience. So schedule a free 15-minute phone call with an advisor by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. All right, we're back here on the Investor Coaching Show, Paul Winkler. So uh, I'm on a roll. Let's uh, another question that came in. If you want, if you've got a question for me, you want to run it by me, paulwinkler.com, paulwinkler.com forward slash question. And, um, you know, a couple ways to make sure that you hear the answer to your question. We can send it to you, and uh, we try our best to make sure that we do that. Another thing is make sure you subscribe to the podcast because then you'll see your question come up. And, uh, oh, there's my question. And, you know, you automatically get a uh, you get a, a notification that we've done a segment and uh, an email about that and let you know that that's happened. So you can do that as well. And you go to paulwinkler.com to do that. The question that, that uh, Gene asked... He was asking, Gene says, hey, Paul, any thoughts on this from an investment standpoint? And the uh, the article, and there was something, you know, emails that people get from Lord only knows where. Uh, the headline was the ugly truth about EVs, $10 trillion fatal flaw. Here's what you, here's how you can get rich from it. And talks about what you deserve to know about the truth about the electric vehicle industry and why the CEO of Jeep confessed that unless this fatal flaw is fixed, the market will collapse, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the EV market, I'm assuming that he's talking about, this, not the stock market, because you think about it, there are company car companies out there that have not gone the EV route, or they've gone the hybrid route, which has been a lot more popular. More about that in a second. Or that, you know, people could actually, you know, like other companies will come out with something totally different that people would like more if that particular market collapses and nobody wants it nobody does anything with evs or they stay with gas engines uh you know so a lot a lot of us i'm like going yeah i'm sticking with my gas engine for a while uh that's just me i i mean you know, i just look at it and go i don't i can't put myself in that position that I, I don't trust the technology yet it's not where i want it to be so personally that's where i am it says so anyway it says uh, click here to see under the hood of the EV's fatal flaw how you can profit from it. So a lot of times the way people try to profit is they try to predict a, a technology is going to totally collapse and as a result of that technology, you know, just falling apart, uh, the companies that actually have followed that technology will be greatly harmed by making the move into that area. Now, one example of that would be, I remember hearing GM talking about how that they had gone hog wild into EVs. 
And literally, not like Toyota, which said, hey, I think we're going to go hybrid. It's kind of where we're going to go. They went all EV. Now, there has been there have been news stories recently where where GM is like backpedaling is from what I have seen. They've been backpedaling on this and they had gone gone all in and now they're looking at going that going all EV, going all battery has been a mistake. Now they're going way we need to, you know, watch out and look at how we have made this decision and maybe we need to do something different. Maybe we need to go the hybrid route more than than uh, what we've been doing. And and here's what happens. People try to use this information to the stocks or pick the companies that they think are going to do well and get away from the ones that aren't going to do well. Well, this is all based on the assumption that the market doesn't see what they see. Now, so for example, let's say that you had a company that got, got involved in the technology in their industry and it was a bad move. As an investor that was thinking about buying stock in that company, how would you respond if you saw that the company you were thinking about buying, you were going to go, hey, I think I might buy them. And you go, well, why would you buy them if they took, it to, took on a technology that was bad? Well, because maybe the company figured out that it was not a good idea to go down that road and they decided to do something different. And maybe they're going to do very good in the future because they've got a lot of resources with which that they, they can employ to actually go the new direction maybe change their ways and they will actually do just fine in the future, but maybe they had a misstep in their past. Like everybody's entitled to a few mistakes in their life, right? And then they go, hey, you know what? I've changed. I repented. I'm not going to do that anymore. And maybe they're a good bet going forward. Maybe that's why somebody would do But there's risk. And maybe there's some problems. So what would an investor do if they're looking at a company that is that hasn't, done so well and they've made a few missteps they would pay less for it would be the answer less based on what based on earnings that are expected so if you're an investor and you're thinking about investing in a company like gm that went all in on evs and that was a mistake now you're seeing what would the, be the price compared to the earnings what would you expect the price to be you'd expect it to be low uh, based on just when this question came in, the day this question came in earlier this week, what was GM's stock selling for? Answer, $5.37 for every dollar of earnings, of what expected earnings are. So how many years would it take you to totally get back all your money based on earnings? Answer, five years. What's the earnings yield? One divided by five, which is 20%. It's a pretty high earnings yield. Why would anybody, you know, you know, you look at that and go, wow, that's a really low price. And that earnings yield is pretty high. Why would anybody give up a stock? Let's put it the other way. That has an earnings yield that's 20% because the earnings may not continue to come in. There is a risk. That's why the stock's selling for, for so low, only $5 for every dollar of earnings. Because there's a risk that the earnings won't continue to come in. Okay, what about Toyota that did not go all in on EVs? What is what is that company selling for? Double, 1049. Which is still low, but you know, Japan has had problems of its own. And you know, the whole EV, you know, even the hybrid has been a, a bit of an issue. 
What do stocks normally sell for? About 16. So, but basically what I want you to get here is that GM is selling for one half of what Toyota is. Presumably, probably a big part of it is because they jumped on a technology that wasn't ready for prime time where Toyota did not do that. So can I profit? Well, I've got a hope, you know, maybe I can short GM stock. I'm thinking, well, gosh, how much lower can it go? The question you ask, you've got to hope that things get even worse for them than they are right now. And are they likely to get, they may get way better because they, they've seen the light. Or I can profit, I think, by buying a company like Toyota that didn't make the same mistake. Well, I've got to hope that things get even better because that price is higher. So you're gambling when you try to pick these companies based on thinking that they're mispriced, that GM is selling for too high based on what it's really worth, or that Toyota is selling for too low based on what, and you're betting against other people that know as much, if not more than you. That is a gamble. So when I see this kind of stuff, how you can get rich, you're making the assumption that you know something that nobody else knows. If that were the case, you would find that active managers had performance that was higher than everybody else out there. And what do we know? 93% of professional managers investing large cap mutual funds underperformed the market over 15 years, according to Dalbar, or according to um, research uh, SPIVA, excuse me, SPIVA, S-P-I-V-A. Uh, and it's like 96% of small cap managers fail to match market returns. The likelihood that you know something that nobody else does is not great. This is something that just gets you to and speculate and gamble with your money. These types of newsletters, this type of information. If they really knew how to get rich from this information, why would they give it to you? The answer, they wouldn't. They would keep it to themselves. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. If you want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more competent investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.